Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. This is John Vecchioni, and I'm here with Mark Chenoweth, uh, and this is Administrative Static, and I think we'll uh, start our program with the top of the news, which is the Katanzi Brown-Jackson hearings. Um, They went on all week, uh, one way or another. She didn't testify all week, thank thank the Lord for her, Um, but she did answer uh, senators' questions. And uh, as far as I saw, and obviously uh, Mark and I both have day jobs, so we didn't watch the hearings uh, all day. But um, as far as I saw, and from what I saw in the press, there were no administrative law questions. There were no questions on deference. So um, I don't know what these senators are playing at. Uh, Actually, I do know what they're playing at. Um, Obviously, the Democratic side was all softballs and how wonderful it was that she was she had been nominated and uh, there were even some um, praise of her of her uh, her sex and her race and uh, and then there was an, an awful lot of uh, attaboys about her accomplishments which are um, many and uh, so that that side isn't as interesting the other side is a, a little more uh, interesting. The Republicans asked her uh, pointed questions on hot button issues, which apparently to them don't include administrative law deference issues or any issues in administrative law, as far as I can tell. Um, but uh, the big one you sometimes see on the sound bites is she was asked, uh, can she define a woman? And she said she wasn't a biologist. But uh, I guess uh, Harvard didn't teach that. Uh, is It was the only <laughs> thing I could uh, gather. Um, she might have majored in the uh, soft uh, humanities. <laughs> I guess so. So obviously it's interesting. Um, it is interesting, though. So usually what they dodge on is abortion questions because that comes before the court quite a bit. And they even have one there this time. And it's a hot button issue. And But on that one, uh, she said she wasn't going to say when life began, but she has religious views on that, which if she was a Republican, that would have that would have set off alarm bells. You would, that would be on the cover of the Washington Post, the New York Times. There would be, it would be all through on every network TV that night, right? If Amy Kilby Barrett had said that, that would have been it. Now she followed up that that isn't going to influence her, her judicial opinions, but you know, certain nominees aren't allowed to give that answer. Um, For sure. The other notable thing about this hearing from what I've seen is, uh, and, and, and our, our, one time guest, Dan McLaughlin, uh, pointed this out on National Review, um, but I noticed it as well, is, is that in these hearings, to the extent that uh, the nominees discuss anything, they discuss originalism and textualism as being the dominant form of interpretation on uh, the Supreme Court. Which, We're all originalists now, right? Yeah. Oh, it's it's actually, it's, it's absolutely stunning from when I was a young man and, and Bork got... Uh, you know, uh, hung hung up to dry based on this. Um, it is it is the uh, 
the singular uh, most dominant political and intellectual triumph uh, for uh, what you call the right side of the aisle that I can think of since the fall of communism. I mean, it, it, there's nothing to match it. You, th you think that, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about how everyone bemoaning, oh, oh, oh um, you know, this Reaganism's dead and, and it's not the 80s and conservatism hasn't conserved anything. You hear this a lot from, uh, from I, I, I guess, the Trump uh, supporters that conservatism hasn't conserved anything. But I really think judicially that is not the case because if hypocrisy is, is, the, uh, is the honor that um, vice pays virtue, uh, certainly, the non-originalists are are paying a lot of a, a, a lot of uh, a lot of tribute. Homage. Yeah, tribute. A lot of tribute to uh, to the virtues of originalism or textualism. They're not the same thing, but for our purposes here, it, it does matter. Um, it, it, it's stunning to see, and um, certainly, which, which is more stunning to you the uh, the growth of reliance on textualism or the growth of reliance on originalism? Textualism. Because oh, originalism, I always felt that originalism um, has the historic from the Eng like the English our, our English tradition was always going back to what they did at the time of Magna Carta and stuff like that. There's a long Anglo-American history of going back to what people were doing at an earlier time, but the tech the the, the textualism is more of a creation of the written constitution and written laws that uh, is kind of an American thing, I think. So I, I just I just think it's just emerged uh, sort of uh, ex, ex nilio, as they say in Latin, where I guess they had textualism. But in any event, um, <laughs> so, so, so I think I say textualism because I do think that going back to what the, the framers or an earlier period were trying to do with Writ, the written word is, is, is a long part of Anglo-American tradition. And which one um, are you less confident about to, uh, a Justice Brown Jackson uh, following through on? Originalism. Mm, yeah. I think I think she'll be Kagan. Like Now, there's a, been a lot of discussion. Now, I take part in a lot of uh, uh, kibitzers' uh, uh, meetings and podcasts. and, and, and You? Yes, and on, on what, you know <laughs> how things are going and what's going on, and um, and I would say that uh, on the left they're very happy with what's going on. Um, they they think she's doing a good job, and on the right they think, oh, she's dodging all these questions. But you know that's the name of the game now uh, for for a lot for a lot of this. And there's also a lot. She's going to be the most leftist jurist we have, and. And uh, John Podharitz of uh, Commentary and, and uh, of, of the New York Post was saying that she's going to be worse than Sotomayor. And I, I don't see any evidence of that, that she's going to be less originalist or less textualist or more radical, if you will, than Sotomayor. I, I don't think that's true. Um, but I could be I'm going to be proved wrong. I, I think she's going to be she's going to make it through the Senate. I think she's going to get um Dan McLaughlin, again, who's very good at this, he says she'll get 52 votes. I think she'll get 56 or 58. I, I think she's doing well. I think that um, I, I cannot see Collins or Murkowski voting against her. Um, oh, no, not I, at all. And I can't see and I can't see Mitt Romney voting against her. And Lindsey I Graham, think, Lindsey Graham I think still votes against these Lindsey's people. Lindsey's going to come around like he's yeah. he's. He's in a snit right now because he didn't get his pick and all that. And and he 
But uh, I think Lindsay's going to come around, and that's four votes right there. Uh, that's 54 votes. And I think there's, there's other races where people don't want to have the negative vote uh, against a nominee like this come up against them. So I'm going to say 57. I'm going to say 57. We'll see. Um, well, I think any and, of the senators that are planning to run for president. All uh, knows. All knows. <laughs> yeah, they're all knows. Tom, Tom, and there's two things. that The hits on her is she's soft on crime. Uh, and particularly uh, 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 child uh, pornography people. Um, and then also that she represented uh, criminals as a public defender and in her in her um, in her amicus briefs to the Supreme Court. Uh, I don't think those are going to stop uh, going to stop her because she has the backing of the uh, the police, the police unions and everything. And she has the backing of a bunch of prosecutors and all this. So I, I don't think she, she's not going naked into the fray on this issue, I think. It would be one thing if everyone said, oh, yeah. But um, I think then, the more troubling issue is the is the work on uh, the prisoners at Guantanamo Bay, not yes. because they don't deserve counsel, but because I thought her answer was disingenuous, that, that her firm assigned her to work on that matter. I, That's not I, how it works at big firms. If there's well, a pro bono matter, you don't just get assigned to that. You have to volunteer to work on pro bono matters. I will, also, firms. I will also say this as someone who's reviewed many habeas petitions because I clerked for a district court judge. You don't get counsel. You're not entitled to counsel in habeas petitions. It's not like uh, a criminal prosecution. The, the Guantanamo point. Bay people are all habeas. You, you didn't have they weren't being the whole point. Everyone was mad they weren't being prosecuted, right? So you, could, you didn't get any counsel. Yeah. And so they were saying they were being um, improperly uh, detained. And so it was a habeas petition. Well, all over this country are prisoners who are filing their own habeas petitions and getting no help from the big law firms, uh, you know, because it's not marquee. You can't make a big statement about how you're, you know, against the war or whatever you're against. So I, I also found that disingenuous because I have reviewed tons of pro se habeas petitions that somehow the Gibbons law firm didn't get involved in or, uh, you know, uh, that wasn't her law firm. That was just one I'm familiar with. But um, so in any event, I, 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 yes, there is some disingenuousness. And on the other hand, there's been some other things. I mean, I think I think her her obvious patriotism in all of her statements and her and her talks about God and religion and all this, I think they're terrible blows to uh to, to a certain uh manifestation of politics nowadays um and i will say this i do not think you'd be getting them from uh a, a, a white woman um of, of the same party i don't think you'd get it um well, you didn't I, get it from uh from kagan that i remember uh she had some she, did she, she did talk about this great man yeah she was it she she did quite a bit, but not about God and not in the same terms. There's a, she's not, she's not as ebullient about it, but she's not ever that as ebullient as, as, as Jackson, as Jackson is. So I think that's a personality thing. Um, but I don't think you'd get the, the religion talk and you certainly didn't from Kagan. Um, so it is, it is, uh, it is, it is sort of refreshing uh, to see. It is something a little bit different than we're used to. Uh, I think the troubling aspects are she does, she either has a philosophy she's not telling the Senate about, or she hasn't thought about these things at all uh, in a systematic way, which is going to be bad for us uh, as, as people who are before the Supreme Court trying to explain something. But it's also going to be bad for uh, her side of the aisle because 
<clears throat> they are going to expect certain things. And I don't know if they're going to get them every time. Maybe they will. But uh, anyway, so the short answer is... They'll get them more often than not. Yeah. Oh, they'll get their way more often than not. We'll see what happens. I think Welcome back to Administrative Static. Mark Chenoweth here with John Vecchioni, as always. And today we are privileged to have one of our colleagues from the New Civil Liberties Alliance joining us uh, on the podcast and the radio program, uh, Senior Litigation Counsel, Peggy Little. Welcome to the program, Peggy. Thank you, Mark. Glad to be here. Well, it's great great to have you. And the, the reason why we have invited uh, Peggy on today, uh, aside from enjoying all of our conversations with her, is that uh, she has just filed a cert petition in the U.S. Supreme Court uh, in a case uh, called Romerol v. Securities and Exchange Commission. And uh, I know we've talked about this uh, program, or we've talked about this case on the program uh, before, Peggy, but uh, I know when cases get up to the Supreme Court, the issues get narrowed a little bit. So maybe you can tell our audience sort of what, what are the issues in the case now? Um, well, thank you, Mark. Uh, we're delighted that Floyd Abrams is helping us uh, take this petition to the U.S. Supreme Court. He is a premier First Amendment lawyer and um, has uh, strong beliefs in uh, the rightness of our position. And that's um, encouraging to have since courts so far have been resistant. So it's a good name to get the court's attention, I think, on a First Amendment issue. Absolutely. He he won many uh, landmark uh, First Amendment cases at the U.S. Supreme Court, and he knows a First Amendment violation when he sees one. <laughs> <laughs> and still going strong in his his eighties, is it? That's is, true. That's true. And that's he impressive. was sharp. Um, it, it was a very enjoyable process, um, honing the issues in a cert petition, which, as you mentioned, is what you need to do. Um, what is interesting uh, to me about this case, uh, and this goes to whether it's talking to Floyd Abrams or any First Amendment law professor, is that there's no dispute that this is a prior restraint that violates the First Amendment. I have yet- Can you, can you explain what a prior restraint is for, for our non-lawyer audience? Absolutely. That means something where the government tells you you are restrained from speaking the truth or indeed anything uh, prior to the time you say it. And they are the so worst. So before you even open your mouth, the government has said, eh, 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 no, you can't even speak. And worse, they set, uh, they, they identify which speakers can't speak. And those are people who have been sued by the SEC. And they also say, well, you can praise the SEC, but you can't criticize it. That's what is known as viewpoint-based discrimination. Sounds one-sided. Indeed. And so that is as dangerous a prior restraint as you could imagine, because it is the government telling someone it is prosecuted that you may not speak disparagingly about your prosecution. Right. So you can't criticize the government. Now, if, if, someone, uh, if someone refuses to settle with the government, let's say they go to trial and win or lose, can, can people who, who beat the government or people who lose, can they still talk about their cases? That's the great... Um, 
injustice here. People like Mark Cuban, who took on the SEC and won his case, can say anything about the SEC he wants, and he does. People who have taken their case to verdict and lost um, can say anything. Bernie about, Madoff. Have anything they want about their case. It is only the people who settle um, that get this gag imposed on them. And, and analytically realize this, the SEC is extracting from them the surrender of a constitutional right on settlement that it could never win at trial, either way, if it won or if it lost. And so it is illegitimate to begin with. The other disturbing thing is you well, have- and, and just one thought on that is, and 98% of cases settle. So you're talking about silencing almost everyone that the SEC ever brings charges against. And yes, and that, and one of the main reasons 98% uh, of the people settle is that the cost of taking the uh, SEC through to a full-fledged trial is exceed, well exceeds a million dollars. Let alone taking them all the way to the Supreme Court like you're doing. <laughs> Indeed. And the great injustice here is only people who are, have um, the assets of Mark Cuban or Bernie Madoff or um, the, the very wealthy people can even Elon they, Musk. Yeah, they can they well he's he's had his taken away and that's another topic for another day. But But at least he has the resources to fight, I mean. He does have resources to fight, but the rest of us do not. And so the the regime as it stands means that unless you are ultra wealthy, you have to surrender your first amendment rights to the SEC. That surely is not a situation that the Supreme Court <clears throat> should let stand. Sure, and and just to be <clears throat> to be clear, so Mr. Romerol, for those of you who have not uh, heard our previous segments about this case, was the CFO of the Xerox Corporation in the early two thousands, and uh, was uh, was accused of uh, of uh, some accounting irregularities. Uh, he did not; he was not found guilty of those. It was a no admit, no deny settlement. And you know, our view is that uh, that he really didn't do anything uh, wrong here, but that's certainly not the SEC's view. Uh, but we can't have a, a, a kind of an open debate about that because of this uh, gag provision uh, in his uh, in his uh, uh, in his settlement agreement with the SEC. So there's a First Amendment uh, issue in the case. Other than the prior restraint, what's the most significant First Amendment issue, do you think? I think it's the content and viewpoint-based discrimination, uh, because the SEC is fine with you going out and praising their prosecution or saying you're sorry you were guilty. It's only if you question the truth or the accuracy of any of its allegations in the complaint that you could be re-prosecuted by the SEC. And the weird thing about that is at the time that the SEC drafts that complaint, these tend to be, at least the ones I've read, tend to be kitchen sink complaints. I mean, they throw everything they think they could possibly uh, get you on, they throw in there. And they know at the time that that a settlement is reached that a lot of things that they said in that complaint aren't true. They know that by that point in time, but they're still uh, not allowing you to speak the truth. Absolutely. And we have examples in the briefing of where someone who uh, after they had settled, has come out and said, well, this is my view of the case. And if the SEC doesn't like it, they uh, demand a retraction and a restatement of uh, why the SEC was right. Surely that is not, that's just un-American. 
it, it stifles criticism of the agency by the people best situated to make the criticism. And it takes away the First Amendment rights from everybody except the super wealthy. Well, I know it's very difficult to predict what the Supreme Court is going to do with any cert petition. They, they grant uh, well below 5% of, of the cert petitions that are presented uh, to the court uh, every year. But what do you what do you think the chances are of, of getting a cert here? Is there uh, have you been getting some some positive vibes from from the uh, securities bar on this case? Well, we certainly have a lot of amicus briefs that we um, expect to be able to submit. Um, I haven't heard a lot from the securities bar. This is unfortunately a practice that has been going on for 50 years. But we do have some things in our favor, including a circuit split, several circuits that split on this question, because SEC uh, perniciously calls this a consent. And so with that title on the document, everybody thinks that Barry Romerill and the 98% of other people charged by the SEC have willingly surrendered their First Amendment rights. The truth is, and SEC admits this in their papers, they will not settle unless you sign that quote unquote consent in which you waive your First Amendment freedoms. It is not voluntary, and that's a fiction. We have uh, circuits that hold um, the ninth, the fourth, the sixth, and all, there's also a Michigan Supreme Court case um, that essentially ho hold that even if you consent to uh, a provision in a settlement agreement that waives your First Amendment or other rights, that has to be set aside because a court lacks power to take those away from you. In um, those cases, sometimes people were asked to settle and agree they would not criticize a county commissioner, for example, or they were um, asked to sign an agreement where they would give up their right to run for public office in the future. Or in the case of the Fourth Circuit, in a police brutality uh, case, it was that uh, they would settle the case, but the person who alleged the brutality by the police could not uh, speak about it to the press. In all of those cases in other circuits, those provisions were held um, unlawful and unconstitutional and were set aside. So we've brought that before the court because the Second Circuit is certainly out of step with those decisions. The other thing that jumps out at me about this, uh, not this case in particular, but this gag order practice is it's so rare in the federal government. I mean, the Department of Justice never does this uh, in any of the settlement agreements uh, that, that it reaches. Are there other agencies that have the same practice or is the SEC uh, pretty much alone on this? The SEC is pretty much alone. It, there's a sister agency that um, regulates the commodities futures uh, market, and they also copycatted the uh, SEC and slipped a uh, rule into the federal um, register that says the same thing. But Even those the FTC doesn't do this, as I, as I always And I say. do think that courts... Uh, should wonder why it is that only two agencies seem to need to think they have this power when the hundreds of other federal agencies seem to be able to regulate Americans very robustly without taking away their First Amendment rights. No, that's right. And if the Department of Justice is able to, to bring these cases without uh, uh, without sort of holding this sort of Damocles over parties that have settled, I don't see why the SEC needs to do so. And I think if the Supreme Court sides with you on this, Peggy, and and, and sides with NCLA's client, uh, Mr. Romerill, it's uh, it's going to be a sea change in terms of the First Amendment rights of, of folks who have been subject to 
enforcement actions, but I don't think it's really going to make life more difficult uh, for the SEC if the DOJ can can successfully prosecute people and successfully bring settlements without this tool. I think the SEC can as well. Absolutely. Any final thoughts uh, about the about the case? Well, we certainly want to get attention uh, to the case. I think if you describe the facts and the legal issues of the case to an ordinary American, they would say, what? In the United States of America, you can do that? That's the general reaction, and we hope the court shares that. Yeah, the, the gag order concept uh, makes me gag, and it's, uh, it's something that has been around, as you say, for 50 years, and it's high time for, for it to be gone. And hope, I hope, Peggy, that your efforts uh, lead to that result. Good luck. Thank you.